Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Oh, look at my front butt. Just tears it up. 
Harry Sinise yeah. got at least nominated for fucking Best Supporting Actor. Right. Right. So, I don't know. But we'll yeah. talk about it later. We'll, we'll we'll talk about it some more later when we talk about... Yeah. And anyone, anyone who listens to our show already knows what my favorite film of 1994 was going to be, but we'll talk about that. Towards the well, end of the shit. show, more. 1994, towards the end of the show, and I said, once it hits September, it's just, it's just like gold, 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 gold. Right. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so, 1994 was the first year the internet was a big thing and all that. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. were at the second wave of grunge that didn't have Nirvana, but it had like uh, Soul Asylum, uh, Green Day coming into the mix, uh, Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. 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 I, and that, you know, this, this uh, 1994 is kind of a. a a year that's near and dear to my heart because it was, uh, you know, my second year of college and all of these great independent films. And like you said, all of this, uh, this music, I didn't listen to much, uh, much, you know, top 40 music, but there, you know, there's still, there was a lot of good music coming out and I did. That's like back you, when I did, the college chart was, fucking big yeah yeah but you know i do, do they even i have did that like still nowadays i don't know uh we uh up here in maine we still have uh two different college radio stations from uh two separate colleges and uh they do play a lot of like whenever i listen to them i hear a lot of new music that i'm not familiar with but then again you know um <clears throat> you know, closing in on 50. So I don't really listen to a yeah. lot of new music anymore. You know, if it's not a band that I already like, then, you know, I don't really seek out a lot of new music unless, you know, like I said, if a band I like comes out with a new album, but yeah, I, you know, plus with all the digital streaming, you know, you can go to Spotify and just pick and choose, make your own playlist and, if you hear a song that you like yeah. on the radio, you don't have to go buy the album or anything. Ugh. Ugh. I'm sorry, man. I have the, I've had uh, yeah. the hiccups. For to like, open up the year, we had the Arab there, which is basically Kevin Bacon going to Africa and getting a basketball player, which sucks. And this one, for a lot of people, the next one is a cult movie, but I always thought this was just utter horseshit, and that's Cabin Boy. Sorry, this movie was shit. Yeah, um, I actually, uh, Abby and I were talking about that last night when I was trying to think of some movies that I wanted to talk about. And yeah, Cabin Boy is goofy and uh, not, you know, it's not great. Uh, I don't know. It has it has some charm to it, um, to me, you know. I mean, just like, I always like Chris Elliott anyway. And just seeing like uh, 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 David Letterman on screen, not just being like you know talk show host. <laughs> I don't know that that kind of amuses me. So um, 
Yeah, it's not a great yeah, film. It was back any. when uh, David Letterman was at his weirdest, and that's when he was at his yeah, best. For, yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah. Next film is uh, a film that I just seen after I seen the credits. I didn't even give a damn who was in it. I was like, who wrote this film? Nicholas St. John? Huh? Dennis Palloy? Stuart Gordon from the Animator? Yeah, by Abel Ferrara? Sold. I didn't have to need anything else to know that Body Snatchers was going to be good. And it was. Yeah, uh, Abel Ferrara's version of Body Snatchers is definitely, I mean, it's controversial because we all know the 70s version of Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland is is a masterpiece. There's no doubt about that. But I've always liked Abel Ferreira as a filmmaker, even if I don't care particularly for the film, uh, you know, uh, when I'm watching it. I always like the fact that he's got like a, a weird slant on everything, you know, like whatever yeah, world that Gordon too. He always had a weird slant too. Only Stuart yeah. Gordon could make a movie about two dolls they'll scare the living shit out of you. A fairy tale that's creepier <laughs> than shit. Right. But yeah, and, Bobby Snatchers, if you haven't seen it, it's good. And like we were talking about going going back to uh Stuart Gordon, we were talking before the show about how uh part of the reason why Forrest Gump kinda loses it it, it it loses some of its teeth because they altered the the source novel to to lean into more uh like yeah anti drug right wing politic kind of stuff to make it more uh easily digestible for the uh public at large uh Stuart Gordon also has a habit of altering the source material when he adapts someone else's book or short story, but uh he does it in a way that I think makes it less palatable. Uh, you know, if you've, if you've read H.P. Lovecraft, you know, his, his stories tend to have a very, like, gothic, uh, you know, dark gothic feel. And uh, the, yeah. the, films that Stuart Gordon, the films that Stuart Gordon himself has written and, and directed kind of tend to go more towards, not all of them, but, you know, his yeah. Lovecraft um, adaptions at least, have more of like a Cronenberg body horror feel to them that's not necessarily explicitly spelled out in the in the original um you know Lovecraft stories you know so um but yeah, yeah. he's a he was always uh, he's always been an interesting writer and director in his own right um but yeah, sadly, yeah this but, is another one that went straight to VHS body snatchers yeah I didn't know that. I I thought yeah, it, uh, Warner's didn't Warner Brothers didn't think that Stuart Gordon and Abel Ferrara was bankable. Huh. Now what? Now now speaking of Abel Ferrara, what year did Bad Lieutenant come out? I can't. Ninety five. I, I think re- it's pretty soon to this. Yeah. So it was after. Before this, he had a- done King of New York. Oh well, well, King of New York was a pretty big hit for him. I, I mean, maybe well, only on yeah. like the mini, 
you know. I mean, maybe more in like cult circles and midnight cinema showings, but yeah, King of New York yeah. was a big hit for him. Surprised the stu- the studio didn't uh, didn't invest a little more in his follow up picture, but I don't uh, know. No. If that happens a lot. It's, yeah. Well, if you notice in the nineties, they really were playing it too safe for their own good. Cause next, um, New Line Cinema, we have House Party Three. Which really should have gone straight to VHS, but it hit theaters. Yeah, yeah. No, the I I I don't know. That's another movie that um, I don't think has aged well. Um, and not I said the third one, not the first. The first yeah, one well, is good and it has aged well. Yeah, I don't I I don't think anyone of the uh, house party movies has aged well there i mean i understand what they were going for they were kind of going for that goofy you know 80s style like teen comedy but i i, I don't know it it, it just it, i've i actually i i haven't seen house party three in a long time but i've yeah. i caught a, i caught some of house party uh on tv the other the other day and i was just like this this movie is just ridiculous. The humor falls flat. Um, you know, the, I mean, kid and play are both charming as, uh, you know, as their characters in the movie, they're, they're charming and they, they do a, a commendable job of pulling off their, their characters. You know, the act is okay, but just, uh, uh yeah, yeah. The, the overall story and all the nonsense, I mean, uh, but, you can see if how Robin Harris wasn't in the first house party, the movie wouldn't be remembered as fondly as it was today. True. You're right. You're right. I mean, okay, yeah, now people... we're going through a quick shit slog. We have Iron Wheel, crap, Insurrection, crap, Blink. Old Michael Apted ripped in peace, but Blink was what you call your generic 80s thriller. It wasn't a 90s noir. 90s noir, our noir for our generation, our 20s was mean as fuck. And we'll get into that later, but god damn, you had stuff we had before this. We had The Grifters, After Dark, My Sweet, Miller's Cross, <laughs> you know. We was pissed yeah. off. Yeah. And while why why started thinking of movies that haven't aged well, Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Yeah. Um <laughs> that's funny. That's another one that I caught on T V the other day, uh and just kinda watched for a little while and I was like, you know, it's funny because you know we think about how actors evolve over their career and, you know, Jim Carrey has done, he's done some really great dramatic roles and, you know, he, but, you know, when you think about early uh, Jim Carrey and he was just wallowing in like the lowest form of comedy, just, you know, dick and fart jokes and, um, yeah. That was one of the big gimmicks is him going around going ba 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 Right. Yeah. Uh, no, Ace Ventura was Louis a big hit. Uh, 
Have you heard of uh, I'll Do Anything by James Brooks? It's not a good movie, but I'm talking to it because of weird reasons. That it was shot 200% as a musical, and the songs were done. And it was edited as a musical. Then at the last moment, they say, okay, we're going to take this musical that plays as a musical and set up as a musical and cut out every fucking song in the movie, making it make even less sense than it did before. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I have seen it before, but, um, yeah, you know, James Brooks is kind of divisive for me as a director because knows me knows I'm a huge Simpsons fan. So I love, I love the Simpsons. Even now people can, anyone who says that the Simpsons isn't as good as it used to be fine. It's not as good as it used to be, but it's what still one of the funny shows. Huh? What show or movie series is that runs as long as The Simpsons? That's that that's any good anymore at all? <laughs> the ages I mean, badly. You know, it's like you're not as good as they was. Well, they've been around for twenty freaking years. Of course, they've run out of right? ideas, and their best writers have left and done their own stuff. Right. But yeah. remember how I said just about five minutes ago how we liked our noir memes? Okay, we got two here. One is Mike Lay's Naked, which is a great movie, and David Toulis is one of the biggest, most watchable bastards in movie history. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. It doesn't sound familiar to me. Basically, he plays this guy who goes around bumming off people's couches and just talking mean and being shit to him and using women so he can get a little and move on. It's a good movie. It's out on Criterion, but he just plays such a bastard. And the second one, well, let's be honest, this movie was a horrible flop when it came out, and it got horrible reviews. But nowadays, it's pretty much loved, and that's Romeo is Bleeding. I was just gonna say. Hey, I was just gonna say while we're talking about noir from '94, Romeo is bleeding. Yeah. Was, I yeah I I love that movie. I still love that that movie. I think I think that was really everything about it is great. I mean, you can't go wrong with Gary Oldman. You know, and I love and, the uh, gender swap in it. Right. Right. Yeah. Usually in a noir, you would get the bastard and the weak girl who's the victim of the bastard. In this one, we got the bitch and the weak guy, played by Gary Oldman, <laughs> who's the victim yeah. of the bitch. <laughs> and and it's funny, too, because another aspect of that uh, gender swap that you mentioned is uh, – Gary Oldman's character actually starts off the movie thinking that he's a badass. He's not a tough guy, but he thinks he's a badass enough that he can, you know, like he's one of those guys who's like, you know, for example, like you have, everyone has that friend who's like, you know, someone starts, starts arguing with him at a bar or something. 
and you're like, all right, come on, man, let's go, let's go, let's go. And they're like, he's lucky he didn't fucking keep running his mouth. I was just about to knock him the fuck out. And you're like, dude, you weigh 150 pounds. You weren't about to knock anybody out, you know? And that's, that's one of my that's favorite moments in the movie is that Oldman is sitting there looking tough and doing what you just said, and his friend looks over to him and he says, you know you're a pussy, don't you? <laughs> right? <laughs> and then you just see Oldman just go, <laughs> Right? I mean, I I can't say much. I've been guilty of that, too, because, you know, I'm I'm generally – you know, congenial and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm more of a, I'm more like, I get irritated easily, but generally I get more depressed than I get angry. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm six feet tall and I weigh 150 pounds and, uh, yeah, I've definitely been that guy who's out with my friends who's been like, that guy's lucky he shut his mouth when he did because I was just, you don't even know how close I was, man. And my friends are like, yeah, yeah, okay. Let's get you home, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And moving on next, I skipped a lot to a film that I despised back in the 90s and I despise it now because it has everything that was shitty about Generation X wrapped up in one shit burrito, and that's Reality Bites. Yeah. Um, I I was amused by Reality Bites when I first watched it. and uh, But, you know, again, because in 1994 I was in college, so and since it's yeah. about a group of you know, since it's about a group of people who just recently graduated college, it was intriguing to me. Um, plus, I back then it was the '90s, so of course I had a crush on Winona Ryder. Uh, you know, before she turned into a shoplifting, uh, I don't know whatever Psycho. was wrong with her. <laughs> yeah, whatever was wrong with her when she accepted and, her Emmy for uh, and. Yeah, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Ethan Hawke was every douchebag hipster smartass who got the hot girl because they thought he was so deep because he was being an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the thing, though. It's like um, the the reality of it is, like I said, being in college in the nineties. I knew so many guys like that that were like, you know, the date dating like the hottest girls on campus. And you're, you know, they're the, they're the idiots who would like, you know, be sitting out on the quad playing acoustic guitar with no, with no shoes on. And then, you know, they'd go up to their dorm room and turn the speakers of outside turn the speakers so they're facing out the window and blast like red hot chili peppers or some dumb shit like that. And you're just like, Oh my gosh. What, what, (laughs) like what is wrong with you? Like, I'm like, come on. I mean, now when I was in college, I was still like, you know, I mean, I was still like a post high school skater kid. And I played in a, I played in a band and I wrote poetry and went to open mic nights and read my poetry and stuff. And so, 
you know, I I was like a sensitive poet, skater, punk rock kid, you know. So I was insufferable as well, I'm sure, to many other people. But man, those dudes, th- those dudes, like yeah, exactly like Ethan Hawke in in uh yeah in Reality Bites, you know, just being oh so cool, like you know. Knowing a lot about the Brady Bunch is not a character trait, <laughs> you know. I know. So. It was me in college. Beautiful girl, come up to me, put her arm around me. I want you to go see Cop in the Half with me. And me, in my beautiful suaveness, in my smoothness, fuck that shit. I want to go see the dark half. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Then your friend's like, your friend is like, dude, that chick was hitting on you, and you're like, I don't care. (laughs) She wanted to go see Colin. Barrel, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) It's a barrel, motherfucker. Do you not understand? But, you know, Reality Bites is one of those they make because they thought that's what we wanted to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, it was obviously anyone who's familiar with the film knows it was written and directed by Ben Stiller. And, you know, Ben Stiller thought, he's always thought that he's had his finger on the pulse of what's you know, of the zeitgeist. He always thinks that he knows what people want to see when he writes and directs a movie. And, you know, he's had some, he's had some, he's had some good movies. I mean, Reality Bites is a well-made movie. It's just another one of those things, like you said, it's basically a time capsule of everything about the nineties that people don't really want to think about anymore. You know, I look at pictures of myself. Well, you know what Richard Pryor said about what you just said? You say it is a well-made movie? Well, to quote Richard Pryor, yeah. you could take an asshole, you could put baby powder on it, you could put makeup on it, and you could put a bow on it and perfume. But it's still an asshole. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, like, you know. And that, that moving thing on I... is uh, Sugar Hill with Wesley Snipes. It's one of those movies that when it came out, we're like, oh, we got no. And then, once you watch it later on VHS, you're like, holy shit, I missed this. This one is actually good. Uh, right? I don't know. I've I've never really he cared has, for Wesley. Uh, Wesley Snipes, Clarence Williams III, Abe Vigoda, Ernie Hudson, Steve Harris, Joe Delisandro. I've never really cared for Wesley. Back then, we didn't. Back then, we're like, eh. But nowadays, if we see the movie with that cast, holy shit. Yeah. I like, like, like I say, I like everyone in that movie, but I've never really been a huge Wesley Snipes fan. So I've never, I never go back and revisit any of his movies, you know, like. I, I'm just not a big Wesley oh. Snipes fan, you know. Screw you, New Jack City's worth going back for. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, 
It was a good movie. I, back I won't when deny he was that. In his, back when he was in his noirs, he was good. Before he became an action star. Always been. Yeah. Yeah. Before Passenger 57. Okay, let's get past crap. <laughs> I got a big old show here. Oh, Claire Weddington Funeral. This is another one that was good back then, but it's aged badly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, four weddings and a funeral. I mean, I think I think a big part of it is that uh, you know. It was such a big hit when it came out, but then, like, Hugh Grant kind of fell right off the face of the earth. Like, you know, it's yeah. rare to see him nowadays. Although, last yeah. week when uh, last week when we were talking about our favorite films of 2020, I said, you know, uh, I said, uh, you know, Death to 2020 was my favorite film of the year, and Hugh Grant was in that. Um, and you know, he was surprisingly, uh, you know, Hugh Grantish. He was the same old yeah. Hugh Grant as all, you know. But you know, his his whole stammering, like <laughs> I'm terribly British. I got a feeling you're you going to kill me on this next one because the next one I thought when I first seen it was an utter piece of shit, and I said to myself, "What the fuck are the Corn Brothers and Sam Raimi thinking, making this?" piece of horseshit. Hudsucker Proxy is my least favorite Coen Brothers movie ever. Ever. I know. It's like every time that they got money, they fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, I think what happens is the Coen Brothers, at least back in this period of their career, they had one of those Make one for yourself and then make one for the studio so you can get the money to make one for yourself. One, you know, you've heard that said before. It's a, it's a typical, uh, you know, Hollywood business trope. They say make one for yourself, one for the studio, one for yourself, one for the studio. And, yeah, but you're right. In the early days of their career, uh, yeah, the Coens seem to have a hard time coming up with good ideas for studio flicks, but they would make an independent film and it would be great. And then they'd make a studio film and it would be kind of like, meh, you know, not quite Didn't as we good. talk about when they were uh, an acolyte of Sam Raimi was when their stuff really was shit? But yeah, like, moving I, on, I, here's two films. One's a comedy that's beloved nowadays and the other one's one I like. And that is, well, first is the ref. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, it has one of my favorite fucking lines ever in it. Next Christmas, we're going to get a big fucking cross and put you up on it and get on our fucking knees in front of it and cry about how horrible we fucking treat you. (laughs) Yeah, the the ref uh, that kind of, the ref kind of uh, flies under the radar because I think a lot of people forget about it. Now, I don't remember. Well, let's be honest. Uh, there's a big question with it too. 
Yeah. Why the fuck did they release a Christmas movie in February? That's what I was going to say, too. I think that's part of the reason why it, well, one of the reasons, and um, the other is that, like you said, it is a Christmas movie, but, it, you know, um, I was watching an interview with um, George Clooney the other day, and uh, somebody asked him if he thought Die Hard was a Christmas movie, which, you know, is a common question that people debate and he said no because a christmas movie is something that you sit around with your family and friends and watch on christmas eve or christmas day because it's supposed to make you feel good and feel happy and you know die hard is more of a violent action movie and the ref is a comedy but it's a raunchy comedy it's not something that you're gonna set the kids down in front of on christmas and say hey here's a christmas movie kids you know, <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. And the other comedy which came in on the same time is Roman Polanski's Bitter Moon, which I do fucking love. It's kinky little ass. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, not that Roman Polanski is, uh, is adverse to making bizarre films, but yeah, Bitter Moon, I always thought was a very strange uh, entry in his uh, in his uh, however you're supposed to say it, but you know his his film filmography. Um, yeah, it does. It's it's an odd film, but people should definitely check it out if you're. Uh, yeah, it's kinky, it's funny, it's weird. Um, uh, does does that that has you Grant in it as well, right? You. Yeah, and Peter Coyote basically stalking him throughout the whole movie, and Hugh Grant's being Hugh Grant, and Peter Coyote's being like a fucking... Yeah. His first line, it's, he sits down there, and he's like, Hi, I'm so-and-so. Would you like to fuck my wife? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, he's trying to find... Yeah, he's trying to find someone on the on the cruise ship. For anyone who hasn't seen it, the film takes place on a cruise ship, and... Uh, Peter yeah. Coyote, Peter Coyote, who's in a wheelchair and unable to have sex, is trying to find or someone it. on the uh, have sex with his wife. <laughs> I love at the end of the movie. It really is like what Coyote does at the end of the movie makes you rethink the entire movie. He's like, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. He's what? Not I I like I I don't know that's that's kind of my uh, it's one I I just watched a movie like that uh, a couple days ago um, I really like films that do that I like a movie that pulls the you know like takes you right up to the edge and then yanks the carpet out from under you uh, and makes you rethink everything that you just watched um, and yeah. I watched a movie I watched a movie the other day. It was a horror film, and, uh, you know, it got to the point at the end of the movie where, you know, the the last last girl uh, has the gun trained on the killer, and she's given some, like, speech or something about, about it, and I'm like, just fucking shoot him, just fucking shoot him, you're pissing me off, because, you know, we have all seen enough horror movies to know what happens if you don't kill the killer at the end, and she finally shoots yeah. him. 
and then they rewind the whole movie and show that she was actually the killer the whole time, and it was all just like her uh, like dissociative personality had made her consider that that there was something evil and wrong about him, but she was actually the one killing people the whole time. So, I mean, it's not an original idea, but it's still, they, yeah. they drew me into the story. They drew me into the story enough yeah. that I was like at the point where I was screaming at the TV, you know, just shoot him, shoot him. No time for talking. Yeah. Just shoot that him. was one of my favorite parts of Scream where he's like, this is the part of the movie when the killer, bam. Not in my movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, she just shot him. Well, yeah, moving on is uh, an HBO Pictures. During this time, HBO Pictures was putting out gold. It was like any time HBO had a movie coming out. He, This is uh, Against the Wall is a movie about the Attica Riot. Listen to this cast. Paul McLaughlin, Samuel Jackson, Clarence Williams III, Frederick Forrest, Harry Dean Stanton, Ann Hesch, Danny yeah. Trejo. <clears throat> this was a fucking Tarantino for Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, Against the Wall, uh, yeah, it was really cool. And, um, on top of that, we haven't really been talking about this much, but a lot of the movies that we've been talking about um, were directed by uh, directors who were uh, like powerhouses in the 70s and kind of had a lull in the 80s and then, you know, yeah. came back in in the 90s with it, when there was, you know, like new um, – new opportunities because we did see a resurgence in independent film and we did see, well, Peter who directed uh, Romeo's bleeding directed a day in the death of Joe egg. One of my all time favorite haunted house movies, the changeling. Right. And, uh, um, against the wall was directed by, uh, John Frankenheimer, who was, most famously known, I would think, for the Manchurian Candidate uh, with Frank Sinatra and Janet Leigh. If anyone, uh, I'm sure most people have seen that. Um, and yeah, um, there were a lot of, like, I'm not going to say that underground cinema wasn't a thing in the 80s. And a lot of these directors who were powerhouse directors in the 70s kind of wormed their way through the eighties just by directing films that were more underground. But then in the nineties with the resurgence of independent cinema and really the breakout. And that's HBO why we're talking giving them low budgets and complete freedom. <laughs> right. And, you know, like and you we're said, moving when on you... to April and there was this guy, he had a movie that that was his version of Blood Simple and it came out and well if you watch the trailer you're like oh god this is another crappy Nicolas Cage movie mm-hmm. the trailer for it sucks 
Yeah. I mean, don't you agree to this? But then Red Rock West, Jesus, that movie was hilarious. And me. Yeah. yeah. It you it does the trailers do kind of make it look like Blood Simple. I mean, they and and maybe that was intentional because, you know, Blood Simple was obviously the big breakout for the Coens. I mean, um but again, like we were saying, Blood Simple was a big it's breakout movie. For them. Yeah. But then they kind of went downhill for a while after Blood Simple until they really found their footing as filmmakers. Like, um, I like Blood Simple okay. Um, there are some things about it that I think are goofy and dated that really annoy me. But uh, Red Rock West, not so much. Red Rock West has more of a timeless feel to it. But, yeah, uh, and it's not – the stories themselves are not at all – well, I wouldn't say at all similar, but, I mean, they, you know, they're both, like you said, they're both noir films, but um, – Yeah, but what Red Rock West is is that uh, Nicholas Cage's car breaks down outside of town. So this guy comes and picks him up, and he says, are you the man? And he gets ends up getting caught in this scheme to kill the guy's wife. But the guy knows. But the girl knows that her husband's trying to kill her, and she gets caught up into that. And just when you think it can't get any stickier, here comes Dennis Hopper is a is a is a hit man who can't bend one of his legs, yeah. and he wants his money. <laughs> Yeah, Dennis Hopper was the man that uh, Nicolas Cage was pretending. Well, uh, to be fair, um, Dennis uh, or uh, Nicolas Cage didn't know when the guy asked him, are you the man? You know, he didn't know what the guy was asking him because it was uh, just confusion. But, yeah, but then Dennis Hopper shows up, and he is the man. And, yeah, he wants his money, and he doesn't want to leave any witnesses behind. Yeah. Um, the and it's directed by John Dahl, who yeah directed two of the greatest noirs of all time in the same fucking year. And we're gonna get this one out of the way right now. The Last Seduction is just so good. Linda Fiorentino is just so fucking mean in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. See, that, I was trying to remember, because uh, we were talking about this before the show, I was trying to remember, so going back to Romeo's Bleeding, that was Lena Olin who was in Romeo's Bleeding, right? Right. I, I think Lena, yeah, and Linda Fiorentino was in The Last uh, the, the last Seduction. Yeah. Okay. I got that yeah. sorted. I couldn't remember. I and it has one of the greatest movie. lines ever said by a woman in a noir. The guy looks at her and goes, well, what am I to you? Just a dick. Well, what will you do <laughs> if I leave? Get another dick. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, man, I would shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. And both no, of both these of were HBO classics. 
Yeah. And as far as I know, John Dahl didn't direct much more than those uh, films. No, he really? did Unbreakable, that that, that kind of stupid one with uh, Ray Liotta taking the pills to give him his memory back after he had an accident. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot all about that movie. Yeah. That's it wasn't as good. It may be called unforgettable, but it's very fucking forgettable. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I forgot all about it. So, yeah. I mean, I'll, I always remember Red Rock West and The Last Seduction, but yeah. Um, I think I remember reading somewhere, and, you know, this might not be completely accurate, but I think Don Dahl, uh, I think he felt kind of jerked around by the whole system because like, like we're saying um, his films debuted on HBO, but eventually Red Rock West did play in a limited number of theaters because it was such a big hit for HBO that they did release it in theaters. Yeah. I can't say. I and can't say for production sure. too. They did. I was going to say, I couldn't be for sure about the, the last seduction, but yeah. So, I think he kind of walked away from filmmaking because he was kind of burnt out on all the all the politics yeah. that and go if along. If you love Mars and you haven't seen those two, you need to see them. Yeah, I would I would suggest and Red Rock West over Last Seduction, but they're both good. They're both good. And the next one, I'm just going to say one line from it, and if you don't know what this movie is Miss One Mind in the hell with you. <laughs> Learn how to use a fucking rewind button, you stupid cunt! <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I love how you always find one line from every, every movie that you just love. Like, well, that's a great line. Movie. I mean, Serial Mom by John Waters is really the last truly great, great movie that he ever did. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I liked Pecker a lot. Um, uh, I know. With Edward. <laughs> with, <laughs> uh, I liked I liked Pecker a lot with uh, Edward Norton. Uh, no, it was uh oh Edward Edward Furlong and Christina Ricci. I like that one a lot, but um but that kinda led into it like um to me it seems like that was a different uh phase of filmmaking for John Waters because he had done so many, you know, truly like guerrilla films in his time as a director. And then um yeah, um serial mo- Serial Mom and um, uh, Pecker were more, they seemed more polished as films, but they still kept his same sensibility as a writer and director. So, um, yeah. but yeah. And Good Lord I, was, uh, what was her name who played Beverly Shootpin? I don't. Uh, you talking about? Uh, um, oh, shit! I don't remember her name either. Well, you know oh, the star it. of it. She was just so fucking good in it. 
Yeah, wasn't it? I want to say Diane Keaton, but it's not. It's not Diane Keaton. No, it was one uh, Peggy Sue got married and body Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, she was See? just so good in this. Yeah, uh, I really like the way she plays that character because she goes from you know the whole obviously the whole joke of the movie is that she's the doting mom who you know, loves her family so much and, you know, cooking and cleaning and doing the laundry and doing all the house mom stuff that, you know, that jived with um, John Waters' whole uh, sensibilities because he loves the 1950s and he loves that whole aesthetic and that whole vibe. And then, but if you piss her off, well, there's a reason why it's called Serial Mom. (laughs) Yeah. And this next one is a Beatles biography, and it's actually a pretty good movie. I was surprised how good Matt's backbeat about Stu Stuckcliffe, the guy who left the Beatles. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's one I didn't even think of when we were thinking about putting the show together tonight. But yeah, that was a good movie. Yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. It was a pretty interesting one. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely yeah. got great music in it. I mean, I don't yeah. remember correct. I, I don't remember correctly. They didn't use any actual Beatles songs in there, though, right? It was more about their early days. Well, they couldn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> How could they use Beatles songs in the songs about before they wrote the fucking song? <laughs> well, exactly. That's what I was saying. Is it was about their days yeah. before they were a big hit. It was about their time in Germany. And Stuart Sutcliffe was a member of the Beatles who was a friend of uh, John's who uh, left the band right when they got the contract signed. But, yeah, it's actually pretty good. And and sadly, because I don't think it's out on DVD or easy to see on streaming nowadays, it's pretty much been forgotten. Same with Serial Mom. Yeah, I forgot about... I forgot about Backbeat until you mentioned it, but I didn't forget about Serial Mom. I mean, I'm, I'm a big John Waters fan anyway, so, I mean, I don't yeah. forget about his. Yeah. But, uh. But, um, and, so- uh. Moving on next is Surviving the Game with Ice-T and Gary Busey, which is just such a. And Rutger Hauer is the bad guy. And it's such a right. great little B-movie action film. Now, I, that's, not, that's not the one that was direct. No, I was thinking of the one with Van Damme that, that John Woo directed. Uh, well, it's it? the same story, Most Dangerous Game, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I When you brought it up, the first thing that came to my mind was that uh, hard what is it? Hard, hard to kill, hard target, or I can't remember what it was called, but yeah, the one I was a big John Woo fan in the nineties, but I kind of lost interest in him and I don't really pay much attention to what he's doing anymore. Didn't he move back to his home country and he still makes movies, I think, but, uh, yeah. After he was forced to make crap like, uh, wind walkers, wind talkers broke him. Yeah. So I don't. I haven't paid attention to his career 
probably since the late nineties and I don't own any of his films anymore. You know, uh, every once in a while when you're a movie collector, you got to go through and cull the herd, get rid of the movies that you don't watch anymore. You know, you got to, you got to Marie Kondo that shit, you know. Does this movie bring me joy yeah, anymore? Well, the only two of his that I would keep keep is uh, the duo, and that's uh, The Killer and Hard Boiled. Well, no, yeah, I've are... got uh, uh, what about them in Vietnam, damn it, to the head. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I, I, think, the, I think The Killer... And, uh, yeah, I think The Killer and Hard Boiled are his two best films. Yeah. And next is a film that became a goth staple in the 90s, except for those that have read the comic book, and they were kind of pissed off that they took away the angriness of the comic book, and that's The Crow. Yeah, um... I am not a big fan of The Crow. I never I never really was. I mean, I was never even really a fan of the comic book. And I mean, I still read comic books to this day, you know? I mean, I've been reading comic books my whole life. I still read and collect comics now. But The Crow never really appealed to me, um, even as a comic book. But, I, of course, I saw the movie because it was a huge, you know, blockbuster in the nineties. So of course I saw it, but I don't know. I mean, it just, it just feels like weak sauce. And I mean, I'm even kind of glad, you know, I, I'm not the biggest Rob Zombie fan, but anyone who knows about cinema knows that it's been a rumor around Hollywood for over a decade now. Crow, Rob Z- Crow 2020. Serious. Yeah. Like, yeah, that Rob Zombie was going to do a remake of The Crow, and I'm just well, like... Well, he was going to do a steampunk Crow. Ugh, I would hate that even more. <laughs> I would probably hate that even more than okay. 90s Let's Gotham move movie. on to the movies that I consider the worst movie in 1994 just because it was so fucking boring. And that's Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yeah. Yeah. Uh again, going back to a uh, going back to the conversation that we had a few weeks ago, we uh uh maybe even a, a month or so ago, but we were talking about movies that didn't need a sequel at all, like should have been one and done. Beverly Hills Cop is one of those movies. The first Beverly Hills Cop is fun. It's funny. We didn't need any sequels to it, and we definitely didn't need Beverly Hills Cop 3. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. just, yeah, you're right. It's dumb, it's boring, and it, it's like, I, I, I don't even understand how these movies get made, you know? And Money. like, Yeah, but, I mean, how do you walk into a studio and be like, hey, here's a sequel to a big hit movie, and they look at it, and they... What, do they even do the executives even read the script, or they're just like whatever you say, man? Like, yeah. And, and what really, what really yeah. hurts about that? Uh, what really yeah. hurts about that yeah. is John, John Landis directed that. That was a John Landis yeah. film. Ouch. That was the film that caused Eddie Murphy and John Landis to 
to full on hate each other and they don't even talk anymore since then. But moving on, in nineteen eighties we had one of the best parodies of metal ever and that's this is Spinal Tap. And in the nineties we have like two rap parodies. One sucked, Z B four. And two of them is still one of them is still hilarious today, and that's fear of a black hat. Yes, yes. Uh, for those for those of you who have been following along with all the adventures that Stephen and I have been through over the years, and are aware of our blog uh, online. Of course, it's a, online. It's a blog. Um, you and I wrote about this when we did our article about the best uh, parody films of all time. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we both agreed Fear of a Black Hat. That movie is, even if the, even if some of the jokes kind of fall flat now or haven't aged well, the friggin' song parodies yeah. on that still hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, come and pet, let's see, come and pet the pussy. Uh, <laughs> Randy said kick your black ass. Fuck the security <laughs> guard. <laughs> and, and lines like this Yeah That was our second album title Don't shoot until you see the white Of their eyes <laughs> What <laughs> <laughs> Yeah Yeah that you know, There's yeah, just that so movie. many good jokes in that movie Like uh, Yeah uh, Spinal Tap had uh, drummers getting killed But their managers always ended up getting killed but they never right. had anything to do with that shit, yo. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, no, that one ranks right up there with some of the best. Like, like we always, this is always our metric when we talk about a, a good parody film. Uh, you and I always use Spinal Tap as the metric. And while Fear of a Black Hat is not on the same level as Spinal Tap per se, it's still worth watching, and it's still fairly hilarious. So, yeah, I I, I wouldn't kick it out of bed for eating crackers. Okay, yeah, let's see. Next is Speed and Lion King. Those are two big films that, if you ask me, have dated horribly. Yeah, um... I don't know. People have a special place in their heart for the Lion King, and I understand that. I mean, I, I've i never been a – I mean, when I was a kid, I was, of course, because as kids will be. Um, but yeah. I know a lot of – I know a lot of people my age, you know, like, as I always mention, I'm pushing 50, and I know a lot of people my age who still love Disney movies, and they still – Love the Lion King. Um, it never really did much for it's me. Just, you know. They run that bitch into the ground. We got the Lion King, the animated film. We got the Lion King, the musical. We got the Lion King, the live action movie. Jesus Christ! <laughs> right. Well, like it's you mentioned, a all fucking the fucking trilogy now. Like we mentioned all the time. You know, one of the biggest problems with trying to be a movie fan in this day and age is unless you're just digging deep, looking for all the good underground stuff and independent films, 
all you're seeing flashing across your screen every friggin' day is a remake or a sequel. I mean, Jesus Christ. How many more fucking Avengers movies do I need in my life, okay? I, I, yeah. None. The answer is zero. None. I mean, they were fun movies yeah. to watch, but you know, they were fun movies to watch, but after 20 movies and they finally defeated Thanos, spoiler alert <laughs> for anyone who hasn't watched fucking Avengers Endgame yet, which if you haven't, then don't bother, but anyway, Th- Thanos gets defeated at the end. It, there you go. I know, I know you probably couldn't have seen it. Yeah. It's good, but it just seems like the older Kenny Ray gets, the better his action films get. Like, I like Speed. I love the first Matrix. And I fucking love uh, John Wick. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but you're right. Speed hasn't really aged well. I mean... Uh, it's still a fun movie to watch, but um, like you said, if you if you compare it to like The Matrix or John Wick, uh, you know, the, Keanu is the is the glue that ties all those together. But The Matrix has much better action set pieces than uh, than uh, Speed, and John Wick, of course, has been like it's pretty much the penultimate action movie at this point. I mean, we talk about, you and I talk about films like The Raid and other really good action movies, but... Uh, no, The, the Raid Wick- is the best film from the last decade. It always will be, and if you don't think so, then fuck you. <laughs> was that cozy uh, enough? <laughs> I was I going like- for uh, Manchurian Candidate. Yeah, I I like. But the, yeah, yeah. I I do I do like the raid a lot. It is a really fun movie. But, yeah. But going on next, uh, one half was one of the best werewolf movies I've ever seen, and then the second half is the same old bullshit, and that's Wolf with Jack Nicholson. The first half of that movie I fucking loved. It was different. It had a great story. I loved Jack Nicholson's performance. Yeah. That's That's, you know, we've seen this happen again in recent years. They keep trying to reboot the the universal monsters uh uh well universe you know i mean they keep trying to to they're trying to do a shared universe thing like they've been doing with the marvel movies and the dc movies you know they keep trying but it's like they can never get the mummy dracula frankenstein and and the wolfman they can't do enough movies separately to find a way to get a fifth movie where all four of them are in it together, you know? And, uh, out of, out of the movies that came out in the nineties where they did try to relaunch those, um, Wolf was probably the best, but, you know, I mean, put that up against like Robert De Niro as Frankenstein. That movie was not good. Um, 
you know. I don't even think we got a mummy movie out of that uh that attempt. I think we got Frankenstein. Yeah, the Brendan uh, Fraser films. Yeah, we got the Brendan Fraser movies, but that that came a little that came a little later. I think uh I think that was their next attempt to reboot the Universal Monsters universe. I think was uh, yeah. I think that was supposed to be their next attempt, and those movies didn't do very well. And then, yeah. what did they do this time? Well, I the first think, half of it, especially the scene where Jack Nicholson pisses on James Spader's feet. What the heck are you doing? <laughs> Just marking my territory. <laughs> right? Yeah, the yeah. first half of it is just great. They were actually trying something different with the werewolf mythos. But then they went and right. did a generic werewolf movie, and I'm like, oh, God damn, man, you almost had it. <laughs> right? But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's the same problem, you know. I I watch, a, obviously, I watch a lot of horror movies and exploitation films, you know, so I – I, I go into those usually with expectations of what exactly is going to happen. And, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not always disappointed, not always disappointed, but um, one thing that, uh, that always annoys me is comedy films, man. You want to talk about movies that always just wrap up in a nice little bow, exactly how you think they're going to end. You, you know, it's hard to find a good yeah. comedy movie that hard to find a good, comedy film actually makes you laugh all the way till the end, you know. There always has but to be the big dramatic. It's later on in this year. Yeah. And next is August the twenty third. I'm skipping so we can get to the big 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 one. Well let's talk about Forrest Gump a little bit more. That movie had four fucking endings. Yeah, right. Yeah. Then he fucked me, and then she left. I'm like, oh, man, that's a bummer of an ending. What? It's not over? I ran across <laughs> the United States. What? It's not fucking over? <laughs> I really I, I really think Forrest Gump kind of marks and always probably will be uh, the apex of Zemeckis's, uh, Robert Zemeckis's, uh, you know, career. I mean, I know he directed Back to the Future, and I know he directed, uh, you know, <laughs> Cast Away. Uh, you know, uh, after Forrest Gump and Cast Away, you know, he went into all that weird shit. Like, was he the one that the directed the play? Yeah. God and, damn, that movie is creepy. Yeah, it is. I know. And uh, I don't, you know, like I said before, I don't necessarily dislike Forrest Gump, but I don't think it deserved to win Best Picture considering the other movies that it was up against that year. Yeah. Um, but, and Tom another had, thing I didn't like, Forrest Gump, he was a retard who didn't drink or do drugs, so he gets all the good in the world, and he gets to become rich. Kenny, 
who lived a normal fucking life for back then gets to be hooked on drugs, gets fucking hepatitis, dies young. <laughs> right? Well, like it's we like, were saying earlier. You are show, unclean. You know? We are punishing you. <laughs> right? Now, well, that's like what we were saying earlier in the show. You know, they they skewed a lot of the details from the book to make it more uh, more friendly, family friendly, and yeah, to kind of draw that divide. You know, uh, if you're clean and good, yeah. then good things will happen to you, even if you only have an IQ of seventy five. But if you drink yeah. and do drugs hang out with the Black Panthers, then, you know, you're going to die a horrible death, you know. <laughs> you remember so, why Jenny left Forrest Gump in the book? Uh, not off the top of my head. I haven't read it for a long time. Uh, he was uh, smoking a joint, getting a blowjob from a woman out behind the club where they were playing music, and she caught him. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, they but in scrubbed half of over my best that. Lines, I wish they would have kept in the movie. If you say that Jenny was a bad person because she did drugs and caught this, I'll punch you in your fucking mouth. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they should have left that in the movie. Right? Maybe take out the F-bomb, but yeah, I'll punch you in the mouth. <laughs> right? But yeah, I mean, and what's that is Forrest Gump was a hit. We which it's a prison movie, but my God, it's good. And it's my favorite Stephen King story, even before it was made into a movie. And that's the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, I mean, no one. I mean, I don't think anyone who's a true fan of cinema can deny how excellent Shawshank Redemption is. This, uh, uh. My friend Jules and I uh, are both big fans of cinema. We don't like a lot of the same movies, but we have a few movies that we've talked about before that if you're flipping through the channels and you come across it, no matter what point in the movie it's at, you watch it. And Shawshank Redemption is one of them. Goodfellas is another one. You know, you've seen it enough times. know what's going on. If you're flipping through the channels, and Shawshank Redemption's on. You stop and watch Shawshank Redemption. You know, like, it, it's yeah. such a... And plus, it just has those moments that, unless you hate them, like Clancy Brown's character, when they're carrying away and then they say, I heard that Brian Hadley cried like a little baby when they were taking him to the jail. And you're like, <laughs> yes! <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's... I was. It's one of those movies I was pissed off because if there's any story that I wanted to adapt as a movie, that would probably be it. I loved it. Just right. like I knew I'd read the story before, so I knew what was coming when it did. And I was watching my right. dad, and he's like, what the hell's going on? Is he dead? Did he hang himself? And I'm just sitting there trying not to laugh. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then all um, of a sudden, what the hell? <laughs> um, and then look thing, on his face when he throws a rock, and you just hear clanking, and all of a sudden, clang, 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 clang. 
They left my um, favorite part of the book out, which was uh, uh, Red was in uh, in solitary for a week, laughing over this. He couldn't stop right? laughing for a week. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, again. Anyone who listens to the show already knows what my favorite movie of 1994 was. But when we were yeah, talking at that... the top of the show about Forrest Gump winning Best Picture, uh, I, I I can always draw a, disti- a distinction between mo- a movie that I like a lot versus, you know, what I think is an award-worthy movie. And in 1994... It was nominated against Forrest Gump as one of the Best Picture nominees, and I think Shawshank Redemption should have gotten it. I think that should have been well, the Best Picture of 1994. On the Cisco Niebuhr show where they was doing the Oscar predictions, guess what uh, prediction was? Shawshank Redemption? No, anyone but Forrest Gump. <laughs> Well, and I happen to agree with that. If any of the other three would have won before it's gone, I would have been okay. Yeah, I can live with it. Yep. Yeah. And, and no one seen is, it when it first came out. No one. Shawshank Redemption no. was one of the biggest flops of the year. When I worked at the when I worked at the video store and Forrest Gump came out on video, we must have had fifty copies of Forrest Gump. And after everyone had come in and rented it once and seen it, they got moved to a shelf in the back of the store and they sat there collecting dust until the video store closed. We had one copy of Pulp Fiction, <laughs> one copy of The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> uh, uh, no, my video store, I got to order four copies because they had like one, and I got people to rent it. I was there renting, and they're like, is there a good one you haven't seen? I'm like, have you seen Shawshank yet? No, rent it. <laughs> right? And the other gigantic flop, and the biggest flop of this director's career was the next week. And that director would be Tim Burton. And this movie, which is considered to be a loved classic nowadays, was a horrible flop. No one went to see it. Hell, when I went to see it, there were three people in there. And this couple on a date, and then the guy left halfway through the movie. <laughs> he hated it so much he broke up with her halfway through the movie. <laughs> yeah, he left his girlfriend halfway through the movie. He's like, fuck that. Well, I loved Edward, even though it was a bullshit version of it. It was lies full of lies. It was still a great fucking movie. Yeah, Edward. Edward is hands down my favorite uh, Tim Burton movie. Uh, No doubt about it. I did like, you know, like everyone else, you know, I was at the right age to be drawn into his 
artistic vision with films like Beetlejuice and uh, Edward Scissorhands, you know, you know, but I think, which one? I despised Edward Scissorhands. Really? Well, yeah. I was at the right age. I was at the right age and of the right, you know, uh, like like I said, I think I appreciated it. Now that I look back on it, I like. I think I appreciated it more for the just the overall like artsiness of it, you know. And that's always been uh, yeah. Tim Burton's selling point anyway, you know, is he's a great with costume design and set design and stuff. But I, I think, you know, there's no other uh, Tim Burton movie anymore that I would ever rewatch again. I, his career yeah. has burnt, I, I, I'm burnt out on him at this point, but Ed Wood, I would watch any time, which is funny because that's a flip on the sensibilities. I used to be attracted to the color and the, costumes and the art design and all that of his films but if you look of course ed wood anyone who's seen it knows it's in black and white um it's very very minimalist um it doesn't have all the crazy artistic flair of his other films but um yeah it's hands down my favorite tim burton film and probably the only one that i would ever watch again and it has the independent filmmaker's mantra. One, two, three, four. There's the cops. Run. <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's sad. We didn't even get this until the big film in October came out. It came out here the same week as that. It was that slow a rollout. Well, you got to give people time to digest between movies or else no one's coming back to the theater. (laughs) Yeah. And this next one is a movie that is considered the most bullshit non-non-non- nomination in the history of the Oscars documentary system, and that's Hoop Dream. Yeah. Yeah, I I had I had Hoop Dreams on my list, too. Um, and I think, um, correct me if you know otherwise, but um, I'm pretty sure Roger Ebert's love for Hoop Dreams is what created the uh, – the the ability for documentaries to be nominated for best picture in a in a separate cat like as best oh, picture God, not yeah. just that you just yeah the, just com- the people raising hell you see the problem was is that and it always has been the documentarian section of the Oscars has been more of a circle jerk than any of the other nomination nominated categories. Right, yeah. And it was like but, pure hell was raised when Hoop Dreams didn't get win or even get nominated. Right. You know what's, what's funny is uh, my friend Ben and I rented a copy of Hoop Dreams 
on VHS again when when I, I was still in college. So, um, but uh, the place that we rented it, uh, the video store that you that was just a couple blocks from the house that I lived in at the time <laughs> had yeah. it had a wall of VHS tapes down one side and the other side of the room was washers and dryers <laughs> coin operated washing <laughs> machines and dryers yeah. our local uh, movie theater was, had a fucking roll of VHS tapes they rented <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah hoop dreams is good yeah it, I mean it's it's heartbreaking, but it's yeah, it's a very interesting look at um, you know uh, it's a very interesting look at how college basketball or you know recruiters worked back then, and I don't think it's much different now. I mean, we're still no. all these years, all these years later, we're still having the debate about like how should college basketball players be compensated yeah. for for the, you know, it's one thing, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, I want to say, well, if you get a scholarship to college and you don't have to pay for college, all you have to do is play basketball, then, well, you know, I think you're being compensated. But, you know, not everyone – who plays college basketball gets a scholarship, you know, kids try out for the team and they might get you on the don't team. And be able- I'm close to a college. You don't understand how much fucking money the college makes off of fucking oh, yeah. jerseys, off of fucking hats, off of this, off of that. I mean, it's just like, yeah. God damn. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's, okay. You know, but, I, yeah. Now we're know. on to the big two. First, right now we got to go back to the Cannes Film Festival where, well, let's just say the Palme d'Or was controversial this year because of a vert, as they put it, the people that hated it, this movie is a vulgar, violent piece of crap that doesn't deserve to win the Palme d'Or. It's a shame that this movie won. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever seen it. What 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 movie is it? Yeah. (laughs) When this movie hit, you remember, there was the biggest fucking bonfire for this already burning. It got great reviews in advance. People were just waiting for it after watching uh, Reservoir Dogs on VHS. People were just dying to see what this guy's going to do next. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, you know, like I mentioned almost weekly on the show, when we're talking about films, everyone knows that Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director, but this is really funny because fiction has been my favorite film since 1994. No other film has surpassed it in my mind. I think it's, a masterpiece. I think it's just everything I love about filmmaking, but I would have never, I probably never would have seen it because when I worked at the video store and anyone who has ever seen a VHS copy of uh, Reservoir Dogs 
the 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 cover art is so cheesy and just general, like you know, basic. And I would walk past Reservoir Dogs all day, every day, putting putting movies back on the shelf. And finally, my friend Sean said to me one day, uh, "Have you ever seen that movie Reservoir Dogs?" And I was like, "No, we have a copy of it at the." video store but no one ever rents it and it looks really cheesy to me and he's like dude you gotta watch Reservoir Dogs so I was like alright I took it home one night and watched it and uh, don't tell anyone but I, I never took that copy of Reservoir Dogs back to the video store <laughs> I fell in love well, let's with talk it. about how shitty the VHS the Pulp Fiction was it, there was this photo they took of the cast before yeah. the movie came out and he used on the VHS, but none of them were in costume. <laughs> and uh, and Samuel Jackson's hair wasn't even the same as it is in the movie. Like, they, not only were they not in costume, it seems like they just got everyone huddled over in a corner and took a quick snapshot before they even got into costume and makeup. Yeah, or Uma didn't have the page girl bob. Uh, right. Travolta didn't have the rat tail. Uh, uh, Samuel yeah. Jackson didn't have the the Jerry curl. Right. The rumor, the rumor goes that Samuel Jackson was supposed to have an afro in the movie, but when they sent the uh, costume designer to go get the wig, she misunderstood what an afro was and accidentally bought a Jerry Curl wig and Samuel Jackson and Quentin Tarantino liked it so much that they just decided to stick with the Jerry Curl instead of the Afro. I <laughs> so, couldn't I don't know. see Jules Winfield in a motherfucking Afro. Right. Yeah. It's just, but, it's just um, not his style. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know, that, yeah, and that, but it also helps. I think, I think the the Jerry Curl look actually helps um, kind of bridge the gap between the 70s vibe that the movie is trying to exude, kind of sets it in the 90s, you know, like, I mean, it, it, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, and we talked about this when we were talking about, uh, about music, and uh, we were talking about the you know, our favorite uh, music from from films from the 90s. And we brought this up um, about how, you know, the opening scene of Pulp Fiction, when the credits break in, we've got Miserloo playing on the radio. And then halfway through the credits, before Miserloo is even over, it switches over to Joe <laughs> And I love the fact that they do that radio thing that when you switch the radio channels, that yeah, right. <laughs> right. But that, but that, but yeah. that does. That, but it, that seems to, you know, you and I talked about this, and it seems, uh, you know, as as direction, uh, it seems to indicate that not only are we going from one generation to the next. Uh, but you know, it sets up it sets up from the very beginning the divide that we're going to see between these two best friends by the end of the movie. Now, 
Actually, they're not best friends. If you get the book that has a script, they really don't win the movie. Uh, 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 Vincent is just coming in from the airport, and Jules is the one who was supposed to pick him up for uh, Marcellus. But they end up doing this little deal here on the way there because of uh, Reservoir Dogs fucking up. The fuck up in Reservoir Dogs. But they changed that part and left it out because they didn't include Reservoir Dogs in as a story. Right, yeah. I mean, that's always been, uh, you know, one of the ongoing uh, fan theories, which, you know, whether or not he actually believes it himself, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino has denied, but it it tracks with what you're saying, but... um, you know, people are always like, oh, the briefcase has the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs in it. But, you know, Tarantino has repeatedly refuted that, saying, no, 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 it doesn't matter what's in the briefcase. It's, you know, it's it's yeah. a classic cinematic MacGuffin, you know? It, it's just, it if just fuels the plot. If you watch the movie uh, Kiss Me Deadly, the Mike Hammer yep. film from the 50s, that's where he got the briefcase from. And it's in that movie right. it's not even fucking named. It's called the Wait What's It? What is it? It's the thing that dreams, you know, that yeah. dreams come from. <laughs> but yeah, that yeah. opening with uh, Honey and Pumpkin and Honey Money. Do you remember what movie that was the original, original opening to? Trailborn Killers. Huh. Now, I don't remember that. I do have, I actually have a copy of the Natural Born Killers script, uh, which and which in and of itself is extremely different from the film Natural Born Killers. It's more of a straightforward Tarantino-type uh, story, but no, I'd have to look at it again. I haven't read it for years, but I do have a copy of it. Uh, but yeah, but, I love yeah. how the fact that there's no linearity in Pulp Fiction. I mean, there is a linear line, but I just can't see Dead Dead Baby as the real ending line of that movie because of how great Samuel Jackson's speech is at the end of the movie. Yeah, right. No, I love I love the way it ends. Uh, I really I really yeah. do like like the, I was. The, the, yeah Vincent Vincent Jewell being like I was you know yeah I wanted to be the shepherd I guess the tyranny of weak and evil man but I realized something today I am the tyranny and wrath of evil men. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard. <laughs> I I also think, uh, you know, that last scene has one of the best, that has one of my favorite parts in the whole movie when, uh, when Jules is, uh, you know, being, being like, look, with all those wallets and the money from the register, you got a pretty good haul, uh, but I want you to reach into that bag and get my wallet. 
everyone knows that classic. Which one is yours? It's the yeah. one that says "bad motherfucker" on it. <laughs> that I've watched. I've probably watched. Pulp, I've probably watched Pulp Fiction 150 times in my life, and that line still makes time when he actually pulls out the yeah. wall and it says "bad motherfucker" on it. My friend, my friend Todd, or the story uh, about Tony Rocky Horror. And the camera's back there waiting for him because the camera's like, come on, let's get the fucking movie going. Let's get the fucking movie going. And they're standing all the way in the back. Yeah. Well, that's, you know. Yeah. That's that's just brilliant direction because you're right. It's That's exactly what the intention of the film is, is for you. Now you're you're the one waiting by the door they walk down the hall to have the argument about the foot massage and you're like, okay, uh, are we doing this thing where <laughs> we were right in front of the door a minute ago? Like, wh- what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, um, yeah. let's get in and here. You were- <laughs> I just love that. Instead of just saying, let's do this. Let's get the character. Yeah. You and I have yeah, talked about this. I mean, this is, like I said, this is a fucking great period for fucking movies. You got the uh, Shawshank Redemption, Ed Wood, uh, Pulp Fiction, and a week later, Miramax released another film that they picked up at the, at Sundance. It was made by this chucklehead that worked out of a convenience store in New Jersey. Yep. I think and I think that I, would I think be I, Clerks. I think I know him. Oh, my mm-hmm. cat's having a kill. Um, yeah. That's one of my favorite uh, parts of Clerks that most people don't talk about. It's when the cat they have the kitty litter up on the counter there, and the cat's up there taking a crap, and just the look on the guy's face. Correct. Um, yeah. You know, um, a lot. Of, you know, a lot of these movies that we've talked about tonight. Um, you know, were. Um, you know, they weren't someone's first movie. A lot of them were big budget films, or at least made on a minimal budget and recouped their their money. But uh, Clerks is really kind of like a. Um, you know, it's like movie about nothing. Yeah. It's a fantasy. Like, can you imagine, like, selling your whole comic book collection and maxing out all of your credit cards on the hope that this ridiculous little black and white movie about working at a convenience store is going to make you rich and famous? I mean, it's it it's it, the I mean, fantasy that's, part that's, is uh, working at the video store. And then making money, and then clocking out, and then making the movie after it closed. <laughs> right? You know. And all I ask again, is, you worked in a video store. How much of the stories that Randall tells about the video store idiots is true? It's it's all very very true. Um, and it's funny because I was just about to bring that up. Um. My friend Ben and I, the the one I mentioned earlier, uh, that that we watched that uh, watched Hoop Dreams with, um, the video store that we worked at was just absolutely 
it's so much like Clerks, but instead of being two separate stores, it was one big store. I worked in the back at the video section. He worked up front at the little snack bar. And then there was another little section of the store where they sold milk and eggs and soda and beer and snacks, you know. Um, so yeah. it was like three different places. Yeah, so much of that. Like, uh, as soon as Ben and I saw the movie, we looked at each other and we were like, holy shit. It's like they looked at our lives and put it right up on the screen. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I didn't work in one, but I hung out in one and I heard that. I mean, it was like, do you have that movie with that guy that was in that other movie? But you, you know what was funny about it, though, Stephen, is um, I worked at the video store for so long that other employees that worked in the um, snack bar and the other, you know, other sections of the store, when someone would come in and be like, do you have that movie with the guy who does the thing? They would bring the customer down to the video end of the store, and and I 99% of the time guarantee I could find the movie they were talking about based on just something that stupid. You know the movie with the guy? He does the thing with the gun, you know, and he squints, and I'm like, Dirty Harry? Yes, Dirty Harry. That's the one I was looking for. Like, you know, it, it was funny, but... <laughs> like... Like, well, yeah, that's had, one thing had, about Clerks that Kevin Smith moved away from, and that's where I moved away from. I love his his early realistic movies, like uh, Clerks and Chasing Amy. Yeah, um, Amy is my favorite of all the Kevin Smith movies. I've I've kept up with him. I think I have. I think I have all of his movies uh, kicking around the house, but. Um, there's a lot of them that I haven't bothered to revisit, like Yoga Hosers and uh, Tusk, and you know, I mean, it, yeah, I, I mean, I I do think that he that he did catch uh, lightning in a bottle with Red State. That was a real departure for him. Uh, I think it was a pretty good movie, but um, it's really not what I want from Kevin Smith. But he can't vacillate so much. I can't watch a movie like Yoga Hosers and then watch a movie like Red State and 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 reconcile those films being my by the same director, you know? Like I I respect every director's right to to make the movie that they want to make, but um I think sometimes you know what I think the difference is you know, there's a lot of uh, stoner humor in Kevin Smith films, but if you read it, read interviews with him or you listen to his podcast, uh, he mentions a lot about how he didn't really smoke pot back in the early days of his career. He made jokes about it and stuff, but he didn't really smoke pot back then. But now it's abundantly clear to me, and he's admitted as such in interviews that he smokes a lot of pot now, and uh, it shows. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh. Yeah. And you we got two horror movie. films. One, both of them flopped, but I loved them both, and they came out at the same time. And they were the movies that you've seen if Pulp Fiction and Clerks were sold out. 
and that will be the Puppet Masters and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I've I've never cared for any of the Puppet Master films. I mean, uh, uh, Charles no, Band- the Puppet Masters, based on the R.H. Heinemann book, with sort of like a proto X Files. Oh with the yeah, 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 on okay. their back that's got Donald Sutherland. Yep, yep. I know what movie you're talking about now. I thought you were talking about yeah, like the good the, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah, that movie movie is okay, but it felt kind of uh, I don't know. To me, it seemed kind of like uh, it didn't seem like it had that much. Uh, there wasn't a lot of it that that really surprised me. You know, it was just kind of like another. Um, just another horror movie, but, uh, you know, uh, I mean, well, science, science fiction, but, you know, um, but on the other hand, even though, uh, yeah, but like, but no nightmare. Uh, People talk about, yeah. oh, Wes Craven really invented the whole meta horror genre with Scream. No, haven't you watched New Nightmare? Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. I was gonna say, uh, yeah, um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare definitely was a prototype for Scream. He he dipped his toe into the whole meta horror thing, and apparently he liked it. Um, you know, well, Nightmare was good, even though the movie flopped because people's fanboys were pissed off that it wasn't an Elm Street movie. Well, fanboys should have been guess pissed what I off about it. That it pissed off the fanboys? <laughs> no, that it wasn't a fucking Elm Street movie. <laughs> right? I'm like, they did yeah. something different and it worked? Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, really, the only Nightmare on Elm Street films that I really like are, number one, the the original Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, I like a lot, and uh, uh, New Nightmare, again, like you said, I don't really consider it to be a Nightmare on Elm Street movie in the purest sense of the of the of the uh, defin- definition, yeah. but uh, I do like it. it. It's an interesting take on a film, um, but I'm glad, like I said, it seemed like it was a dry run for Scream. So, uh, you know, like you yeah. said, a lot of people. like I said, a lot of people, they were the movies that you would see if movie A was sold out. Now, no, moving I mean, on... Uh, after uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola says, I'm going to make another movie. And all of us who thought Dracula was good were like, yes, it's going to be. Kenneth Branagh running around without a fucking shirt for two hours? <laughs> yeah. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was almost him because Robert De Niro was good as the monster. Yeah. 
but if you're going to have tits in a movie, make sure it's the female one. <laughs> I mean, you notice that 90% of that movie was uh, Kenneth Branagh running around without a shirt, lightning falling everywhere, hitting him in the fucking chest. But he still didn't have no shirt on. <laughs> I don't know, man. I have to admit, and, uh, you know, I know I'm going to get some hate mail for this, some hate tweets or whatever, but, uh, yeah, man, I I gave up on Coppola a long time ago, man. Like, he hasn't done anything to impress me for years, you know? Like, Oh, so, you love Jack. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite. My favorite Robin Williams film. I watch it all the all the time. <laughs> yeah. This one is usually a two question one the next film. People look at me and say, What's your favorite Peter Jackson film? And I go, Oh, movie. What movie's that? This is his best movie. It's a true crime movie, and it's like nothing he ever did before and after it. And God, is it so fucking good. Heavenly yeah. Creatures. Yeah. If you're going in there Heavenly. expecting Hobbit or Gore, you're going to be disappointed in fucking this. But if you want to watch one of the best fucking true crime movies to ever come out, you're going to be a happy little monkey. Yeah, I love Heavenly Creatures, and I agree with you. My, this is one of those things where I, like I said before, I can differentiate. Now, Dead Alive, or Brain Dead, as it's sometimes known, is my favorite Peter Jackson movie, but I think Heavenly Creatures is his best. Yeah, it, it's definitely an amazing... It, and it was a huge leap forward for him as a filmmaker uh, after years of wallowing in B-movie horror, you know, um, that movie really bridged the gap. I mean, that's really what bridged the gap between his early B-movie stuff and him going on to make the the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit movies and King Kong and all the stuff that he's done since then. But I don't know. None of that stuff really interests me. I'm not a big fantasy fan, which is, it's funny. I think about this a lot. Like a lot of people try to get me into Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. And I'm like, care about any of that crap, but I still play Dungeons and Dragons. So uh, I guess I'm kind of. Dude, when a girl goes up to you and asks you what's your fantasy, it might be something that could get you in trouble with your wife. Not do you like Harry Potter? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my fantasy is a movie that was flopped, and it's hilarious that the year started in February with Gary Oldman in one of his best noir roles, and then we go into November, and what do we get? Gary Oldman in one of his best <laughs> noir roles. This movie was a big flop when it came out. I don't know why, because I've always loved Leon the Professional, especially the Leon cut, but that movie had my yeah. jaw dropped. I'm like, 
Jesus, this movie is good. Well, we were talking earlier about, um, like, John Wick and, you know, some of the other, like, action films that are the metric now for how we judge action. But Professional really, like, changed the game when that movie came came out, you know. Yeah. I mean, without, without the Professional, we wouldn't have The Raid. We wouldn't have John Wick, you know. That movie... It, no. It set a bar, you know. It set a bar that, you know, like you yeah. said, um, you know, like it is an it, yeah. it is an excellent film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, boss, it, what do it, you want? I want them all. What? Gary Owens is so over the top in this movie, but he's good over the top, not wacky over the top. Yeah, not not like not like over the top like he is in uh, the you know the Five Elements, right? Like not. Yeah. Is that what it's is that what is that what it's called? The Five Elements. I I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Fifth Element. Yeah. Fifth Element. Uh, and you have one of the best death scenes ever. Right. Just because of how mm-hmm. understatement it is. He just goes, shit. <laughs> With that emotion. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. yeah. We could talk to see it. <laughs> um, some quick mentions. Uh, I just wanted to bring up some real quick mentions. Nothing that we have to discuss in uh, depth, but some of the other notable movies that came out, and we did mention this before, Natural Born Killers was a big one uh, that That year. That was 95. Uh, Yeah. And... uh, Spanking the Monkey was one that I liked in 94. Uh, eh. Zoe, you didn't like Spanking the Monkey? I, I thought it was Zoe. fun. No. Killing of Zoe, you no? Would. Well, Killing Zoe was good, but that really was uh, Roger Avery's Okay, I stole pulp, I stole Pulp Fiction stories from you. I'll give you this money, make a movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know I know it was kind of like the consolation prize for uh, you know, I mean, not only did Tarantino steal uh Roger Avery's story for Pulp Fiction, he didn't even thank him when he got his Oscar for best original screenplay. So, uh yeah, do you remember what his were... wife yelled uh, when Tarantino was going up to get the Oscar? No. Roger Avery? Fuck you, Tarantino! <laughs> uh, another movie that... Uh, another one that really flew under the radar, and a lot of people probably have never even heard of it, let alone seen it, but... um. Clean Shaven. Have you ever seen that film? Oh God, yeah, that one's good. Yeah, that was a. I kind of forgot about it until I was uh, doing some research, uh, trying to think of some movies that I wanted to talk about tonight. And yeah, 
If you haven't seen Clean And Jesus, in case you're probably... wondering, this is the movie where the lead actor doesn't rape Ben Reigns in the ass. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, it's a bizarre film that really, again, it's like one of those films we were talking about earlier where, you know, you're following the thread of the story for the entire film and then you're they just kind of yank the rug out from under you at the end when you're just like, you know, and it's a, it's a formula that's been done before and since. I mean, I can't, I can't pinpoint, like, you know, films like Gaslight and Repulsion where it's like, is this person crazy or is there something else going on, you know, so. This is one of those movies I say didn't get released to escape. Yeah. I I don't I don't think you would be able to find a copy of it anywhere now for a reasonable price unless it seems like one of the movies that the Criterion Collection would put out, you know, at this point. They did, it and it's out of print. Yeah, right. So you're right. Yeah. They and didn't re-up it when it comes to Blu-ray. Same with uh, another one from this era that goes with Queen Shaven, that's Man Bites Dog. Yeah. about We've talked about that one before on our blog, too, Man Bites Dog. That's a, yeah. not from 94. But, but to close it up, Jesus Christ, how big of a bombshell did... Really, 1994 come to really changing what the landscape of independent cinema and what an independent film could be. I mean, yeah. you had a stoner comedy, independent indie film. You had a violent action film, indie film, you know. And and we all know that there, it's no no joke that Pulp Fiction changed the landscape of cinema for years to come. I mean, as much as we all want to talk about Scorsese being the king of gangster films, every movie that came out after Pulp Fiction, that gangster movie, wanted to be the next Pulp Fiction. And And that's what the subject of next week's show is going to be. Tarantino yeah. exploitation. How come no one's really coined that term yet of the big gun? <laughs> they call them Tarantino right. knockoffs. They call them Tarantino ripoffs. Fuck <laughs> you. It's Tarantino exploitation. <laughs> and we know Don't this you agree? because I do. I do. And we know this because I coined my own exploitation term. The Sesploitation Conflagration, which it's just happens to be yeah. the name of our show. <laughs> uh, See, we did it like Pulp Fiction. We waited to the end of the movie to show the beginning of the show. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, if there's any of these 1994 films that you haven't seen, watch them. Because most of the ones we mentioned are really good. The ones that I would recommend that you have see that you probably haven't seen would be the two John Dahl films. Yeah. 
And one more that I didn't mention before, but was on the, on my mind, uh, the Terry's Wygoff, uh, uh, documentary about our crumb. It's just called crumb. Oh, crumb. Yeah, uh, that was a good one. That's another yeah, one that didn't get nominated for best documentary for fucking Oscars a year. Right. It deserved it though. It's probably still Zweigoff's yeah. best film. Yeah, it's probably still his best film. I mean, I like Ghost World and other movies that he's done, but I think that's probably still his best. I mean, yeah, it's no. not an invasive dog. When I watched Ghost World, I wanted to beat the shit out of, uh, what's her name for how she treated uh, Bushimi's character. Right. Well, we're coming at that from two different angles, though, because, again, I'm a comic book fan, and I always love everything Daniel Klaus does. So, of course, when they start making oh, movies like out him, of him. But I just didn't like the character. Right. Yeah, I get it. Which probably means I mean, he's done his job. That happens to me a lot. Sometimes I'll start watching a movie, and I'll turn it off just because I decide that the characters are too shrill or unlikable, and I'm like... I don't give yeah. a shit what happens to these people, you know. But and with that, good night, everybody, and we'll see you next week when we talk about Tarantino exploitation—the good, the bad, the ugly—and <laughs> truth or consequences, New Mexico. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we we got a bunch. We got a bunch of good ones we can talk about. So, all right, everyone. And some bad ones. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, be safe. You know, wear a mask. Wash your hands. We'll talk to you next week. Good night.